Alluvio's media wallet won IBC's Best of Show 2023. The company's CEO explains the solution and how Alluvio's content fabric handles all TV business models with disruptive pricing and performance. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to Inside the Stream. My name is Colin Dixon, founder and chief analyst at Endscreen Media. And you will, of course, immediately have noticed that this week I'm in the driver's seat because Will is away. And rather than take the week off, we wanted to bring you this interview with Alluvio's co-founder and CEO, Michelle Munson. You'll remember I talked about how Alluvio was one of the top things I was looking forward to seeing at IBC. Well, the company did not disappoint. It announced full support for all the business models in streaming TV, including Live, Fast and Pivot. Alluvio's content blockchain is a radical departure from the traditional CDN and media cloud approaches in wide use today. And it brings new features and disruptive pricing that content companies should really take a close look at. Particularly interesting is the company's media wallet, which won IBC's Best of Show Award. Stick around to the end of the interview to hear Michelle explain why the media wallet is so innovative. The interview runs a little on the long side, but I really think it's worth your time to understand the full scope of the Alluvio solution. So settle in and enjoy the discussion. And Will will be back with us next week. So I'd like to welcome Michelle Munson, who's co-founder and CEO of Alluvio to the podcast. Michelle, welcome. Thank you so much, Colin. Great to be here. It's great to have you. Our audience is already a little bit familiar with what Alluvio is doing and some of the announcements at IBC, but I really wanted to get you in uh, to talk in a little bit more detail because it was a fantastic, you had a great uh, little mini theater there at the, the, at the conference center, and it was a, certainly a great launch, I think, of the full platform, but maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Michelle, tell us what you announced at IBC. Let's talk about that first. Well, first of all, thank you for covering us. It was a terrific, I think, coming out for the fabric in full. Um, So the Content Fabric is an open and decentralized platform for streaming, distribution, and storage of content. Um, It's built on a new protocol that we invented called the Content Fabric Protocol that allows for media to be distributed in this just-in-time fashion where it self-composes, so it's component-based, and it also allows for... um, bringing data directly together with the media and the processing and the network. And um, those things really come together in a concrete way when you think of today's uh, premium streaming applications. And what what we showed at IBC was really um, uh, the set of those. And I think the most general cases, one, premium VOD streaming with full security and also uh, forensic watermarking. Uh, Two, um, personalized fast channels, which is very exciting with both live and also personalized ad insertion and also a live and premium streaming, which, which is relevant to news and sports and, and also to ad hoc creator cases. Uh, we had streams running for all of these use cases in our, um, stand at IBC. And, uh, as we were talking, uh, uh, earlier today, um, it's been really great follow up from people, um, were involved in a, a number of significant trials. Um, because the fabric is a blockchain network and because there is um, a really a native direct 
a security relationship between the publisher and the audience, it also unlocks really new types of fan engagement. And we're seeing um, now some of our customers putting that all together into new product concepts, which we might talk about today. Yep, yep. And the stuff we've been doing with MGM is a great example of that. And we'll, we'll talk about the Superman movie maybe a little bit in, in a second. Yeah. Which is Warner Brothers. Oh, Warner Brothers, well. Warner Brothers, yeah. of course, of course, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, I've, I've actually written quite a lot about that already. Now, you said a couple of interesting things there. Well, first of all, the meta picture here is that you now support all business models, right? That's exactly right. So um, because the fabric allows for direct distribution of content, um, both in the secure sense and also in the feature sense. Um, this means that it it allows for selling it, uh, selling it and, and really thinking of Windows, both in, in terms of uh, an EST kind of sell-through uh, or window, a, a rental or subscription kind of sell-through a window, a free and ad-supported content type of um, uh, model. And the technology underpins this from the bottom up. And then also we have features that make it possible to do this in a very easy way. So one of the things that I think is pretty radically different is this um, is this self-composing fabric mm. that, you're, fabric. You, yeah, that you've that's developed. Right. That's right. So yeah. let's spend a, a couple of minutes there to try and obviously we can only scratch the yeah. surface, but give us a sense how yeah. that works and yeah. how it is different from a CDN or different CDN. from a cloud. Cloud, yeah. So um, at the very top line, I think um, one way I like to think about it is that the composition is, is intrinsic. It's in the protocol rather than in the workflow. Uh, we do a lot of heavy lifting in media to try to bring together the media with the processing along with the data and particularly you know cloud workflows are are sort of the quintessential example of that we're supposed to have all these microservices that we build out that are supposed to do that and arguably it's very complex and it's not really fit for purpose so the main um, power of the content fabric is a, a protocol that makes comp compositional video and content uh, native to how it functions. And the, probably the best way to think about that is to um, imagine that you built yourself a, a computer in a protocol for media where that um, the, the basic functions of it allow for media to uh, self-compose. There are content objects uh, in the fabric, which are the basic primitive for storing any kind of media for st uh, static or streaming output. And those objects bring together um, the traits or the code that actually executes in protocol along with the raw media and uh, are also uh, powered by data. So you can take pipelines that were previously, you know, largely about making lots and lots of file versions and having to, you know, do that multiple times in different phases of the pipeline, you can you can really replace all of that with a a very um, lightweight but but powerful uh, model where once you publish media, its traits and its metadata allow for composing all of its offerings, and um, that allows it then to start to take on the traits of a content delivery network and a and a full media stack in the cloud. This is something that it's so novel that it has really taken us to get to the point of you know the maturity it is now for people to understand it and be able to 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 get what we're talking about. Um, the benefits, though, are profound, super fast. Right now, we're involved in low latency um, live streaming that is two seconds end-to-end -end standard HLS in live sport. 
that includes all the security and the end-to-end distribution, which most people in the industry would know is just not something you can do with standard HLS um, in any predictable way um, with traditional workflows. Um, and that's, of course, without uh, introducing any external sort of uh, parties that you know are involved in the transcoding or the content prep or the distribution. We are also involved in fast and personalized um, composition, which leads to being able to do personalized data insertion. And that's not something you have to build bespoke. Instead, it's general purpose. You can do it straight in the fabric and with any any kind of content sequences. Or um, and you can also really put some business logic into the functions that that decide what gets inserted because you're no longer having to, you know, do the heavy lift to actually build your own, you know, ad insertion engine or to re- or rely on third parties. Um, and then the third case on this premium VOD is that all the windows that you think of in securing uh, content releases like an international film like The Flash, uh, those are done directly in Fabric. So you end up with, you know, huge utility off a single object. You can publish a film once and have the international window be enforced directly from that one object to all the streaming users. It also means you can do new fan kinds of bundles. And um, this is what's one of the things that's been super interesting coming off of the um, original, you know, NFT uh, uh, movies is now that's broadened in to become really a new type of collectible media bundle, um, which, um, you know, people will hopefully hear some more about. I've been involved in some really interesting things the last couple of weeks to get that launched in the international film space. Yeah, let's spend a moment for just, just talking about that, because one of the things I love about that I guess one of the things I've always felt a little cheated about with digital delivery is I lost the right along the way to resell. Um, Mm. You know, I used to be able to buy a DVD and I I could sell that to somebody else or give it to somebody else. And I lost that right in the transition to digital. You've given us back that right with with what you're doing, right? Well, I think, and again, to kind of put it in context, um, um, in the fabric, when uh, all the content is actually owned by the publisher, its own, not just in a business sense, but also in terms of the security or the cryptographic uh, encryption that protects the content. And when a user makes a request or a client, an application makes a request for something like an output stream, that's not only authorized, it also allows for the um, publishing party to have a trustless um, passing or re-encryption of that content to the receiving party. And that, that whole transaction is something that's direct between those two parties. It's governed by the Fabric's built-in blockchain. Um, and what this means, to your point, is that now um, a fan or an audience is really a direct peer in that um, receiving relationship. Um, and it means you can also start to do interesting things with the content mm-hmm. where you offer it to the fan for their ownership, for example, or for um, some type of exclusive access, for example, to extra content, um, to additional related kinds of offers, which are very, um, so think of adding in um, feature film tickets, movie tickets to the theater, along with the EST release. Um, and then finally, being able to bring all of this together when you think of linear channels, um, such as what we call fast channels, bringing that together with the interstitial 
that get chosen to be uh, dropped into that, those channels, then relating those directly to the owning user's wallet. So those are fully personalized. And the, this is profoundly different than um, what has been possible with media to date, because all, everything else is all about some intermediary uh, system where you basically have to license or post your content if you're a publisher to that uh, service. And then finally, on the other side, the consumer subscribes and is subject to the terms of that service. And then everything that goes on between is is pretty limited. And when you say this direct relationship, uh, that means that a content provider can actually grant new rights to somebody exactly. that's purchased the purchase exactly. that's purchased something exactly. through an NFT. Exactly, exactly. And I, I just came back from a week at MIPCOM with one of the Hollywood studios because they are uh, pushing the boundaries of this in terms of uh, new ownership capabilities for consumers. Yeah. And um, movie bundles. That's so interesting for them and for us as consumers. Right. I, we mentioned the Superman movies. One of the things that, that you've done there is you've created a sort of super uh, DVD collection of um, collectible stuff in addition to special versions of the movie. Um, yeah, we didn't create that. The studio it, did. The that, studio that, created, right. right. That, that was a different you're, you're partner, just, Warner, Warner Brothers. Yeah, You're just the happened. enabling fabric that enabled the enabling this fabric, to happen. But, but to your point, what I think is interesting there is that that's a different type of creative paradigm and what we are starting to see. And it goes all the way from, you know, uh, a, a live match game over on the professional sports side over to um, feature films is the the realization that you have a couple of new things you didn't have before. First of all, a platform that is low cost and agile for publishing. What does that do? That starts to open up the envelope for new offerings, particularly those that go to super fans as opposed to the masses. You can justify the spend. Right. Uh, because the uh, revenue um, take is so much larger. That's number one. Number two is having a platform where you can have that direct relationship and um, the fan can be an owner or to have or have access to in, in an easy way, a turnkey way to uh, new types of offerings and release windows. Um, and then finally, you get also multiple bytes at the Apple, meaning that the if you're thinking from a publisher's point of view, the same content that um, might previously have been monetized once can now be monetized multiple times and hopefully bring better engagement because you're really targeting people that have self-selected into it. And I, we feel like these ingredients are, are really starting to, you know, from, from what we're seeing our customers doing with that, they're putting together both the infrastructure side, just fast, low latency, low cost streaming together with these value add capabilities and, and making whole new concepts out of it. Yeah, let's let's spend a moment talking about live because live is a use case that has been, I think, very difficult for the sort of traditional CDN and cloud type delivery to deliver on low latency at scale, uh, massive, massive ad insertions, targeted ad insertions. It's just been a real challenge. Let's talk talk about how Alluvio is able to do two second latency at scale. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely want to talk to this because it's a very big deal in live sports and uh, we are directly involved in some um, important uh, use cases right now that require it. Um, so first of all, what, what's different? 
the, one of the biggest impediments that exists in cloud architectures as they were built for media is the fact that the um, foundations are not conducive to real-time media. You have, first of all, the way that um, you're expected to deal in file I.O. and the way that you're expected to, um, if you will, make multiple file copies in a multi-stage workflow uh, is um, the enemy of being able to do real-time video. And let, let me explain that a little bit more. If you're originating a live stream, the sort of bespoke workflow is you ingest that stream to some transcoding point. Nowadays, oftentimes on the cloud, you make some file output variants, then you put those through a second service microservice where those file output variants are read in for to a packager that then creates the packaged versions of the uh, of the encoded um, uh, segments, and uh, and then finally that packager, if itself isn't an origin, then file transfers the resulting output to an origin server, and then lastly that origin server egresses to a CDN and uh, usually multiple uh, CDNs. So there at minimum, you've got four different stages, all of which are separated, all of which involve creating, you know, essentially file output variants, and then finally reading and writing those through that pipeline. And then of course you have cloud fees that go along with, with pulling those, uh, you know, getting those out to the uh, to the CDN itself. Finally, you're usually supposed to have multiple CDNs on the backside of that as well. So you, you put all that that workflow together and you end up with something that's um, difficult to make real time, secondly, costly, and thirdly, complex, because you have to deal with all those stages. Um, And while there are low latency versions of HLS, as a specification, they also have side effects to the player, um, which include, for example, distorting the ABR algorithm. So if you look this in the, you know, kind of squarely in the eye, you've got a lot of, um, let's say, extra work and effort to try to deal with a foundation that's arguably not built for real-time video. In our case, this is totally different. Um, the fabric is built for real-time video in the sense that, first and foremost, the lowest layer of um, storage, if you will, of um, um, the raw material to make the output stream, that is a fast um, sort of zero lookup decentralized hashing algorithm that takes in the live content, um, transcodes as the live content is coming in into these chunked parts at the you know highest bit rate needed, publishes those um, into the network in a in a place that can be looked up without searching around and it scales according to that. Um, algorithm. And then finally, also on the other side, has the ability to um, retrieve um, through the network as the client's requests are being made, the, the raw material, those source parts, and to transcode those in a pipeline fashion on across any node that's going to be answering that client. And that pipeline end to end, when you look at it visually, has no gaps. Um, you can literally draw a you know a, a perfect pipeline throughput where the only additional time in that, if it's done correctly, is the propagation time for for one basic part over the internet, which, as most people know, is a few hundred milliseconds at most. So you're at the point where you can have a source stream coming in and have the output being built 
um, real time with the video plus a few hundred milliseconds. What does that mean if you're generating two second HLS segments? It means you can put out two second HLS segments all the way through the player um, at just over two seconds end to end globally. And you do it deterministically, right? And this is extremely important because it, um, it, really vets out the determinism of taking out um, the traditional architecture. You can get it everywhere for all clients. The second is it's super lightweight. It doesn't require any effort. The software just does it, and you're in a position where you can just take out a ton of heavy lifting. And then finally, it's cheaper. It's cheaper because you obviously don't have to have all this intermediary stuff going on. But I think at the top line is just the, the sheer performance and reliability of it. Um, and I'm very proud we're actually involved in something right now where um, we're hitting the two seconds globally and in exactly this model with the premium sports content. So you mentioned cheaper. How much cheaper? Well, if you look across that workflow, if you take just a simple comparison to a cloud and CDN, don't add on any of the people and also the the multiplication factors across multiple streams you're you're already in the the uh 115th of the cost and uh that we actually have some slides that where we show a assumption on a from a standard cloud live stream ingest package transcoding packaging and distribution um all the way uh, through CDN for for a simple uh single stream of course if you multiply that continues to grow because the efficiencies um, accrue uh, even across use cases for that same source. Um, and then on top of that, so so we're talking about 115th that cost multiplied over more variance. And then finally, that doesn't include all of the other simplifications that come along from have, not having to have as many people being able to really work remotely, do remote production, and also being able to eliminate a lot of external systems that you previously had to maintain. What I mean by that is you start to get rid of the need to have separate write systems. You remove the need to have your separate DRM. You remove the need to do so much um, chasing down in terms of uh, locking down the, the uh, streaming security. And you also reduce you know, the need for as many people, right? And I think those things come along from just the innovation and efficiency side. But most important at the top line is being able to hit those latencies in a simple and deterministic way, and then to put it into a uh, web, you know, a web and TV environment that's consumer grade. I mean, that, that's that's what's been so difficult to to do. Right? Maybe maybe it would be helpful if you could explain. One of the things about live is it's, is its unpredictability. You can have a match that gets, suddenly gets hot. Everybody's totally. texting each other and you have a ton of people show up that you didn't expect. Totally. Um, talk about how your, your how Olivia deals with that. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that helps the fabric immensely compared to traditional architectures is that the parts that constitute the media that replicate throughout the network, um, those parts are equally available to any node. And what that means is that when you're serving output, it doesn't matter what what node is actually manufacturing the streaming output. It's such that you really get publishing everywhere and you end up with the ability to serve everywhere. And the properties are the same, right? So that sameness means that you're no longer limited 
right? In terms of how you think about scaling up the, one of the biggest problems with most distributed systems and scaling up is they're inherently partitioned. They're partitioned because you only have so much storage in one place or they're partitioned because the, the backplane of the database, for example, only works in a certain region, right? Or has state across a certain region. Um, another uh, challenge is the fact that in caching architectures is that they demand a absolute locality to the user. And that's, you know, you have to piece them together with the other stuff. The fabric has none of those constraints, period. Right. In fact, the only constraint it has is that the client, um, you know, ought to be served the clients over the Internet and the client ought to be served from a relatively local node. But given that, right, um, the rest of the pipeline through the entire overlay network between nodes, everything's equal. Performance is equal um, within, you know, internet propagation times. And um, also along with that, the um, stack and its uh, ability to to uh, produce output, its performance is equivalent. So what you, what you end up with then is a, a machinery, right? It's able to generate your live streaming output from any point equivalently. And then for scale, right? Given everything I said, scale is just a matter of, of having enough capacity to serve the uh, client load that exists. It no longer means you have to re-architect or repartition or wait if in, in the case of, uh, you know, you're in a, um, a network that would require data move, to move around. And to be very specific, the nodes can serve um, segments and manifest files and any other content that they previously made that happened to be written to the, you know, disk um, already cached can also serve material that they make on the fly and it can do that equally fast right and that's that's fundamentally different than a typical network where you got to rely strictly on the local cache to do what you need to do um yeah and then i want to stress because i've been so deeply involved in this recently with low latency live streaming i mean this this is foundational to being able to have those kinds of numbers wherever a client might you know show up in the world finally how to get um massive capacity well one other great thing about the fabric architecture is that Everything is the ingress and everything is the edge. So if you want to expand edge capacity, you just add nodes. So if we're going into a case where instead of, you know, supporting 500,000 or, you know, a million streams, we need to support 10 million streams. All that's needed is, uh, you know, a proportional number of uh, nodes um, available for that capacity during that time. That's it. There's no more re-architecting to do, no more pre-provisioning to do. Uh, and this is a really big deal because um, one of the things that I think will happen here in the 2024, based on what we're involved in, is that there will be um, uh, CDN uh, edge that will end up being a part of Fabric Nodes in the case of very big live events. Great, great. Uh, so I think we've touched on uh, pretty much everything ex- uh, to, to give our listeners a good idea of how the fabric works. But there's one more thing I really wanted to talk about, and that's the wallet, the media wallet. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. It's a, The wallet is super fun because it brings all this to life. I mean, I will say, listening to me, um, some of the listeners be like, what in the world is she talking about? Because there's so much density in what they, the insides of the fabric, right? The wallet, um, in a way, exposes so much of its outsides. And what I mean by that is that 
everything that comes out of Fabric is standard. Um, HLS streaming, dash streaming, file downloads, uh, listing of metadata. Um, so you don't need an application. You just call the APIs like any other CDN or cloud and get out what you want. That said, we decided to create an app called the Media Wallet because there's been so much interest around exploiting this um, unusual combination of features. The fact that you can get premium streaming combined with ownership and um, exclusive windows, uh, also in real life offers like digital coupons that um, allow for you know on-chain redemption, that kind of thing. So we built out a media wallet. We started on the browser a couple of years ago in the heydays of uh, NFTs and Web3. And we started to bring it to the TV um, earlier 2023. Uh, one, because we're starting to do movie releases uh, like the WB100. And then on top of that, it seemed that this is where um, media is most natural. It's entertainment after all. So we built out the Media Wallet app for uh, Apple TV, and then we did it for uh, Android, Google Chromecast, and um, also Fire TV. Um, now it's, I don't know, 1,600 or so different platforms that it runs on, in addition to the uh, browser and mobile browser. And um, it's built to feel like your own personal media library. And it's very relatable to people because it's a consumer app. And when you log in, you see all your stuff. It also has a turnkey back end. So if you're a publisher, you can put up your visuals and configure it with its you know, built-in, we got a you know CMS uh, tooling for that. Why is this good? Well, it, it lets you basically do new types of direct releases to a wallet holding consumer. Um, and there are, we, fortunately, we've had many projects pick it up. And it, it's also been, um, I would call it a really significant um, experimentation platform for new products. Like I said, I just got done last week from Europe on MIPCOM where all the demos were out of the wallet. It has an API too. So it ends up being able to be called from in other TV apps with deep links, which is really interesting because you can mix it in um, and with single sign-on as well, picking up the sign-on of a third-party TV service and then be able to put um, new kinds of turnkey bundle offers inside of existing um, uh, OTT over the top um, services, which is the, the, where I think this, this is all, you know, ultimately landing. Um, and then from the consumer side, it takes away all of the heavy lift for, or even the crypto scariness of a wallet. You would never know it's a wallet um, other than the fact that when you sign on, you can sign on with email or you can even connect directly with MetaMask if you wish. And you have a full blockchain address. I mean, it, it looks and functions like a, you know, a, a, uh, another um, app on your connected TV. So, and it's easy for a user to set that up? Yeah, you just install it from the store. Uh, it's a point and click install, easy to sign on. Um, you scan the QR code so you get prompted to sign on your phone. It redirects automatically into your wallet. Um, we have had, I mean, not going what it's a new application, but we have had very strong reviews from the users and um, seems like people like it. So I, I can see all of my, once inside that wallet is all of my content? All of your content, and it's both bundled and unbundled. This is really interesting. So if you have an access pass, which can give you give you as a consumer, 
publisher decides, you know, windowed access, limited access, or um, unlimited access, for example, or even free access to something, that that in your My Items, you get to see an item for each one of those. And then there's an unbundled view that allows you to see all the media that that unlocks. And that unbundled view, um, you can even be organized by the consumer um, or the user, and that it has shelves in it. Um, which look like your digital media shelf. So to your point earlier of I can't actually own DVDs anymore. Well, that's not the case. Um, uh, you can via uh, this, you know, this model, but I think it goes well beyond that. And this is the part I wanted to stress is I think that uh, this is not a re, re, a recreation of what has been this sort of, um, you know, Blu-ray or DVD of the past. Instead, what I see our, our customers doing with this uh, is basically in, in imagining and creating new bundled offerings, right? And then they also change over time, which is interesting. I mentioned getting multiple bites of the apple. So if you think about a typical film release, right, usually there's a pre-theater release where it's building an interest to then there is of course the theatrical release followed by uh, a digital window and then usually down the way there is catalog and there the catalog accumulates and and great titles for example like a top gun uh would uh, be you know something people would want to see for you know an era for eras right imagine that it's now possible to not only you know in the old way or own into that, but instead to be a super fan, even of that franchise. And so now you can both receive if Maverick comes out, you can uh, receive early access to the uh, film with uh, um, also maybe tickets to the theater. And along with that later on, you might receive some extras that go with that, such as signed movie posters and scripts. And then along the way, you might also have a catalog offer from the original top fund that appears for you um, as a result of what you own. And um, and then finally, people. It, one of the things that is really interesting, which doesn't come from my side of the fence, making you know foundational technology, but does come from the from the business, is there's been quite a bit of market research going on now, given all this new technology on in super fandom. You know, what drives people? What are they after? Why are they doing it? And it seems that the the top line of all of that is is just what we know about ourselves, which is we want to be more engaged with uh, things we love. And this makes it possible to do it easy to do uh, technologically, easy to do economically. And I think this is going to tap a whole new generation of how media is done rather than the Costco, you know, show everything thrown together and value going down instead, very specific to people and self-driven, um, very I think that's very generational for people right now. And also um, um, that sort of, you know, natural curation, you know, promotes people, people's love for what they have, right. And pride in having it finally is social sharing of that. That's the other piece of it. And the, the, um, the way the, the wallet works, there are elements that allow for what people own to be not only reshared socially, there are new things we're building that allow that to, go across people. And of course, with the blockchain behind that, you can actually make those kinds of transferring or gifting or, or um, if you will, um, you know, showing 
my the attribution to me, right? Make those very explicit for people in a way that you know you can actually prove, right? So, so those those are the trends that are going on and around this. And what I'm excited about is all we did was put out some possibilities. Our customers now are putting together whole new products, doing these things, and um, there, there's nothing that makes a you know a person work when you work hard on something it makes makes you happier, right? That's always a great validation when somebody takes what you have and creates something you can you never could never imagined you exactly. never thought they could do. So it's great. Okay. It's great that, that totally. this has been a great conversation, Michelle. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, where can people go to get more information? Oh, very simple. Alluve.io. And now we have both a link to try the fabric, which of course is free. Uh, and it just asks you to fill out your details and we'll get in touch and get you an evaluation as a tenant on the fabric platform. And uh, keep in mind all of these different use cases. Um, it's also gotten quite easy to use. Um, we're having a good success around that. So invite everybody to try it out. And then if you want to read about our use cases and our case studies, feel free to just uh, go to our website at aloof.io and, and there also uh, we can make a direct contact so uh, we can talk to you great and will and i will include links to some of that when we post this on our site uh, so if you're listening to this through your favorite podcast manager just check out either will or my sites and you'll find those links there as well michelle thank you so much for spending time with with us it's been great thank you it was wonderful Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.